turn to John chapter 17. Remember we're in that, we're in that uh, high priestly prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ that takes up the whole of John chapter 17. Jesus prayed this prayer to his father the night before he laid down his life at the cross and looking at verse 3 in John chapter 17 he said and this is life eternal that they might know thee the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou has sent. So this morning we're going to be looking at life eternal from uh, reading John chapter 17 and verse 3. In verse 3, the Lord Jesus Christ was saying what life eternal consists of, knowing the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. That's an interesting one, isn't it? If someone asks you what what eternal life is and they think they're being very profound, well, you give them a profound answer, don't you? Well, okay, you want to know what eternal life is? It's knowing the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. That's your answer. That's a perfect answer. A textbook answer. It's a biblical answer. As as can be seen in verse 3, it's not just about knowing God, is it? It's about knowing the only true God. After all, if you think of God as what? As being the object of worship, adoration, and the one who takes the highest place in your affections, then I would say there must be many, many gods. For example, the Hindus, they have about 330 gods, is it? No, 330 million gods. And they worship them, they adore them. People worship the gods of their own sinful and twisted imaginations. They worship gods that have been crafted by their own wicked hands. For example, when Moses went up Mount Sinai to receive the commandments of God, the ancient Israelites made for themselves a golden calf and they worshipped it. Later on, when Moses made atonement for their sin... He said to the Lord, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made for them gods of gold. About 600 years later, there was a a division amongst the tribes of Israel and King Jeroboam of the northern tribes of Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel, he set up two golden calves in the northern kingdom so that his subjects would not go and worship God in the temple in Jerusalem in the southern kingdom of Judah. He didn't want his people to be reconciled to the southern kingdom and that is why he set up two golden calves to be worshipped in the kingdom of Israel. Also, the Jews worshipped pagan gods and they even sacrificed their children to them. Can you imagine it? Can you get your head round that, that the ancient Israelites sacrificed their children to the pagan god, Molech? 
It doesn't bear thinking of, does it? As the Lord said in Jeremiah chapter 32 and verse 35, And they built the high places of Baal, which are in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire to Molech, which I did not command them, nor did it come into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. Sacrificing their children to the pagan god Molech. So bad, isn't it? But guess what, folks? Nothing has changed, has it? Nothing at all has changed. Here we are, over two and a half thousand years later, in a world in which not just the Jews, but Gentiles as well, sacrifice millions upon millions of unborn children every year to the gods of convenience and to the gods of selfish ambition. Nothing changes. If you do not know the only true God, there are many other gods that you do know, and you worship them. You really do. You worship yourself, you worship other people, you worship your pets, you worship factory-made gods, such as cars and motorbikes and anything that takes the highest honour in your affections. That becomes your God. Behind the multitude of false gods that people worship is the devil, whom the Apostle Paul described as the God of this world in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. And if you do not know and worship the only true God, then I am telling you that ultimately your God is the devil. The world does not give the only true God the glory due unto his name, despite despite the only true God having made himself known to everybody through his creative handiwork. All those who call themselves atheists... Who are they trying to kid? When someone comes up to me and I'm talking to them and they tell me that they don't believe in God, I don't believe them. I really don't believe them. Because God has made himself known to them through the things that he has made. And God is angry with them. God is angry with such people. As it is written in Romans chapter 1 verse 18 through to verse 23. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, 
nor were thankful, thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. This is God speaking to the atheist here. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of God, of the incorruptible God, into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. And I could add to that. And cars and motorbikes and pop stars and, and sports stars and film stars. And most of all, perhaps themselves. Looking at verse 3 again. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I can clearly remember when I first acknowledged the only true God, who is the maker of heaven and earth. That was a, that was a very, very important time for me. That stands out in my memory and is indelibly written into my memory. That time when I first came to acknowledge God. Never mind anything else, but to acknowledge God. It happened towards the end of my time at university. And yes, I suppose I could have suppressed what I knew, but by the grace of God, I didn't. It was just too important for me. After all, having finally, finally acknowledged that God is, I owed it to myself to know more about him. And what followed was that whilst I took a holiday with friends in the Algarve, having successfully completed my degree course, I spent many hours at the poolside or in my hotel room simply reading my brand new Bible. That's all I wanted to do. After all, I had acknowledged that God is. I couldn't stop there. I'd have to be mad, utterly stupid to have done that. And finding out more about God and getting to know that God, the only true God, it became my only preoccupation. More important to me than anything As I read Genesis chapter 1 at the poolside, and I can remember these things. I forget most other things. People who know me know what a bad memory I've got. But I can actually remember sitting at the poolside a long time ago now, reading Genesis chapter 1, as if I was right there when God created the heaven and the earth. When God said, let there be light, and there was light. Having said that, it was never going to be enough for me to know the only true God as the creator of heaven and earth. Although I didn't realise it at the time, I still needed to know the only true God as my Father. And that can only ever happen when you know Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. As it is written in John chapter 1 verses 11 and 12 concerning Jesus coming to the Jews 
when he came to the Jews, it is written, he came to his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become children of God. Jesus gave the Jews, the ones who received him and believed on his name, he gave them the right to become sons and daughters of the only true God. But that's not just a history lesson for us. To be perfectly honest with you, if that was just meant for the Jews, then it would be of no interest to me. But what applied to those Jews of old applies for everybody, Jew and Gentile alike, including people in here now, today. To those who receive Jesus and believe on his name, to them gave he the power or to them gives he the power or the right or the privilege to become sons and daughters of God. That's amazing. I don't need anyone sitting there blank and expressionless. That is an amazing statement to behold. I've spoken a lot recently about beholding. That is something worth holding on to and doing something about. Receiving Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, believing on his name. And not just saying, oh, I don't believe in God. Science has proved it. There's the Big Bang. It is precisely the same for everyone now as it ever was. The way to know the only true God as your Father is to know Jesus Christ, whom he has sent into the world. Verse 3 again. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. What does it mean to know Jesus Christ, whom the only true God have sent, and who gives us the right to know the only true God as our loving Heavenly Father? What does it mean to know Jesus Christ? It is a knowledge that gives you a whole new set of priorities and it places Jesus at the very, very top of your heart's desires. Jesus takes the highest honour. By faith, Jesus is enthroned in your heart. That's what it means. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said about him knowing Jesus. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found with him, found in him, not having mine own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. 
Can you see that it is more than just a head knowledge? For Paul, the knowledge of Jesus Christ was more precious than anything else. He forsook everything that he might know Jesus and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformed unto his death. That is worth everything. And that is knowing Jesus. The implications of that are huge. Knowing Jesus is more than singing those lovely songs on a Sunday morning. Singing about how much you love Jesus. That's good. Praise God if you do that. But there's got to be more to it than that. It means forsaking all for Jesus. Not literally, although that could be the case. Who knows? God only knows. What it doesn't mean is putting regular meetings on the back burner when something better comes along. That is not knowing Jesus. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul who lost everything for the knowledge of Jesus and who counted everything as rubbish or as dung for the excellency of knowing Jesus? Can you imagine him giving way to or or passing Jesus for something better that might come along? We can all be fair-weather Christians. I suspect there are more than a few fair-weather Christians on this very fair island home that we live on. So easy, isn't it? But it's when you hit skid row, when you suffer real affliction, that is when it shows if you know Jesus. Can you see that it is more than just that head knowledge? The Apostle Paul, he was trusting in the perfect obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ in life and in death on his behalf. The Apostle Paul knew that there was nothing Nothing at all about him that would impress God. The only true God. And he knew that his acceptance before God would only ever be in Jesus Christ. For Paul, knowing Jesus Christ meant that by faith he was crucified with Christ. And that he was raised up to new life in Jesus Christ. He no longer lived, but Christ lived in him. And the life that he now lived in the flesh, he lived by faith of the Son of God who loved him and who gave himself for him. That kind of knowledge, it's a knowledge that is seen in a born-again life, lived for the glory of God. That is knowing Jesus Christ. 
This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. There are those who appeal to that verse as they try and they fail to disprove the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ. They say, and look at verse 3 there, they say that verse 3 speaks not of Jesus Christ as the only true God, but of Jesus Christ and the only true God. Two persons in that verse, the only true God and Jesus Christ. Therefore, Jesus is not God. However, to do that is to disregard the rest of John's Gospel. For example, right at the beginning of John's Gospel, in chapter 1, verse 1, and verse 14, let's see what it's written there. It's a long time ago, isn't it, since we looked at those verses. Chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, this is speaking about Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Drop down to verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. That speaks of the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ when you look at those verses. But you don't even have to turn back to chapter 1. Just look above and underneath the verse that we're looking at today. Look at verse 1 in chapter 17. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify him. And verse 5 there, underneath. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. That speaks of the eternality of Jesus. It speaks of his glory. It speaks of his majesty. It speaks of his divinity. We don't even have to go all the... To these verses here, we can go to beyond John's Gospel, anywhere in the New Testament. For example, Matthew chapter 16, in verse 16, Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? What did they say? What did, um, what did Peter say? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. We'll come back to that. In John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus could have very easily referred to himself as the Son of God, but he didn't. That was not the point he was making there. He called himself Jesus Christ. And that is the only place in the New Testament where the Lord Jesus calls himself Jesus Christ. Nowhere else. So you've got to think to yourself, well, why did he do that? He had his reasons for calling himself Jesus Christ there and not the Son of God. So let's consider what Jesus meant when he called himself Jesus Christ. 
because eternal life is to know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. It's worth our while spending a bit of time just considering the name Jesus Christ. All of us who really do know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent, we know Jesus as our divine saviour. If you do not know Jesus as your divine saviour, then you're not really saved from your sin. You're still in darkness. The Jesus you know must be God, the divine saviour. And that is what Jesus means. Jesus is a transliteration of the Hebrew name Joshua, which means Jehovah is salvation. That's the name Jesus. Jehovah is salvation. As for Christ, it means anointed or it means a Messiah. And when applied to Jesus, it goes hand in hand with him being the son of God. I've already mentioned Matthew chapter 16 and verse 17, where the apostle Peter said, thou art the Christ, but he didn't stop there. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. They go hand in hand when Christ is applied to Jesus. That's in verse 16. Then there was the apostle John who explained why he recorded details of the various Miracles that Jesus performed. And he said in John chapter 20 and verse 31. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. Again, he didn't stop there. The son of God. And that by believing you may have life in his name. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. We have considered what it means to know the only true God, and we've considered what it means to know Jesus Christ, whom he have sent. According to verse 3, knowing both is life eternal. Actually, every one of us already has an eternal existence whether we know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent or not. We all have an eternal existence. For example, there are people who insist that when we die, <coughs> when we die, we cease to exist. Wishful thinking that we cease to exist. There are even professing Christians who say that people who know not the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent are simply annihilated. When they die, they cease to exist. A lay Baptist preacher who I met when I first became a Christian, he was one of those people, an elderly man, probably been preaching for many years. And in conversation... He told me, the devil's not real. Hell's not real. If you die without trusting in Jesus, boom, you just cease to exist. I knew virtually nothing about the Bible at the time, but the Holy Spirit was telling me, stay away from that man. I had no desire to have any more fellowship with him. It's simply not true. Such people have got it wrong. The fact is that the Bible speaks very clearly 
of everlasting punishment and everlasting destruction in the everlasting fire for all who do not know God. And to get rid of that, you would have to get rid of hell. Hell is forever. And it won't be a place of emptiness. It's a place of everlasting punishment, everlasting destruction. Well, everlasting fire. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 7 through to 9, the Apostle Paul speaking to Christians about when Jesus returns in judgment. This is what he said. And to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God. Jesus taking vengeance on those who do not know God when he returns in judgment and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Therefore, even though ceasing to exist would no doubt be far more preferable than spending eternity in torment in hellfire or the everlasting fire it is not an option for you the good news is that all who truly do not sorry all who truly do know the only true god and jesus christ whom he have sent have eternal life not will have but have eternal life Look at that verse again. I know I've read it so many times already. Verse 3. This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. If you know the only true God, if you know Jesus Christ whom he hath sent, you have eternal life. You don't have to wait until you die. You have it. It's a present reality. And it is forevermore. In John chapter 10, verses 28 and 29, Jesus said, And I give unto them eternal life. He gives you eternal life. And they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. To that, all of us who know Jesus say a big Amen. Especially when we consider that having eternal life means that we are forever safe, forever secure in the hand of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are forever safe, forever secure in the hand of his Father, our Father, if we have received Jesus and believed on his name. Finally, I'll finish by asking you three questions. Do you know the only true God as your loving Heavenly Father? You can answer that in your head. Second question. Do you know Jesus Christ whom he have sent as your Saviour who loved you and who gave himself for you as you as he bare away your sins at the cross. Again, answer that one in your head. The last question is, 
Do you have eternal life? Okay, that's the three questions. I trust you realise by now, even if you didn't realise at the beginning of this sermon, that the only possibility for answer, the only possible answers for those three questions is yes, 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 or no, no, no. Nothing else. Do you know the only true God? Do you know Jesus Christ whom he have sent? Do you have eternal life? It's either yes, 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 or no, no, no. By the grace of God, may each one of you here be people who can say yes, yes, and yes. Amen.